0: Claire Edwards, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership, a series of conversations, insights, and inspirations with leaders who are real, raw, and authentic. Today, I bring you a conversation with Emma Weber, CEO of Lever Transfer of Learning, an organization dedicated to bridging the gap between learning and business results. My conversation with Emma in this podcast focuses on leading virtually something she's done from inception and it's jam-packed with tips, tools and tales from the trenches. So whether you're an emerging leader or a well-established leader and new to leading virtually, this is the podcast for you. Enjoy. When I moved to Sydney I was introduced to Emma Weber and I have to admit to being a tad jealous about her work. You see, Emma was executing what I'd been trying to do for years and without too much luck. Emma Weber is the CEO of Lever Transfer of Learning and believes passionately, as I do, that learning transfer is the missing link in professional development. We're all too aware of the cost of investment in training, which then escalates if that learning isn't fully applied and implemented back in the workplace. But it's not so much the concept of transfer of learning that I want to chat to Emma about today. That's going to have to wait for another podcast. It's the fact that from the get go, Emma has led her organization and her team virtually, which is extremely relevant for the situation that many leaders are finding themselves in today. Emma, welcome to Authentic Leadership.
1: Thank you, Claire. So thrilled to be here today chatting with you.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, it's going to be a really, really enjoyable and enlightening conversation, I believe. So before we actually do a deep dive into leading virtually, I'd love for our listeners to hear a little bit about your career journey and what led you to leave a transfer of learning being conceived and born.
1: Well, it's a bit odd, Claire, because my my professional qualification my degree is in textile design so so when you go from textile design to learning it is a bit of a journey but my my sort of first career was in retail buying and merchandising working in the UK and the Middle East with people like Next and Debenhams if there's some um, UK listeners they'll recognize those brands Mm -hmm. Um, but I was trained to coach as a manager so I went on a 2-day coach training course at a, an organization in London and just absolutely loved it. And I'd oh. always wanted to work for myself and I was really close to starting a business in the UK and at the very last minute I lost my nerve and I went into management consulting which I did for a couple of years. <laughs> but I was consulting and um, I was on a consulting project but I was really coaching people and the client said Emma, you're providing more value than you know, many other management consultants we've had. And I mm. knew in my heart of hearts, it was because I was using a coaching based approach. So I, I used that moment to pivot, decided to move to Australia to start an organization in coaching, which then morphed into using coaching for learning transfer. So that's really the journey. And that was 18 years ago that I moved to Australia to start my own business. I thought I'd go somewhere with that, no, where no one would offer me a job. So that I wasn't <laughs> back into the corporate world so um, yeah and and 18 years later I'm still here
0: so you so you you took the temptation away you thought yeah. right you know let's let's make it so that I have to do it and I'm really that's really interesting so what was some of the uh, uh, you know apart from obviously the the coaching element what were some of the triggers or the signals? that facilitated that morphing that when you Mm. realize that we, you know, we're we're missing a huge link here?
1: I think in some ways, the missing link is so obvious, it can be Mm -hmm. hard to see it, because Mm -hmm. we almost just accept it. Um, But I was reading a research report about, um, you know, coaching when it was um, added on to training. I was also just, you know, browsing the web as you do and saw a company in Canada that was doing something similar and um, so I spoke to one of my my corporate clients about it in Australia and they really liked the idea and within about four months that was all our business was focusing on was transfer of learning. Wow. Um, And and really it's just grown through there and, um, you know, Shout out to James Harper from BMW Australia. He really got it and he knew it was the missing gap. And when I said, well, this is what we can do, this is how we can help you. um, He just ran with it. And, um, you know, we were working with BMW then for 15 years. Mm.
0: Oh, you know, I'm I'm so tempted to go down the transfer learning not. rabbit hole, <laughs> which we're not going to do because I really w- I do want to be that for another sure. another podcast because we you know in, in terms of return on investment and it's just an absolute no brainer. But I am going to park it. I, I'm too. I am tempted, but I'm going to park it. Yes, <laughs> so, <you. laughs> so we're talking about was it 2002 mm. that you yeah. set up? And this is what I find really interesting. So 2002, look, that's what, 18 18 18, years. So 18 years ago, you made a conscious decision to set up your organization virtually, which I don't think in 2002, you know, certainly wasn't the norm, but I think it was definitely in the the minority. So... I'd love to hear more about you know
1: what was what was going on for you. What influenced you making that decision? I think to maybe say it was a conscious decision. Um I'm not quite sure if it's conscious. I think when you start a business, you end up doing lots of things that you don't know you're not meant to do. <laughs> and so I, hear you. so I remember within six months of moving to well, six months, maybe a year of moving to Sydney, I was featured in the Sydney Morning Herald with a, wow. a half a page, you know, blurb, picture, the whole thing. I didn't know how difficult that was to get because I was naive, I was new, I was just full of the joys of starting my own business. And now I think, oh, my God, how on earth am I going to get half a page in the Sydney Morning Herald? Because I know that it's difficult. and I <laughs> And I think it's a little bit like starting virtually. So when I moved here, I started with an office in London and an office in Sydney. Mm-hmm. And the office in London was literally um, a a postal address and you can get postal addresses in other countries and you can, you know, in my heart of hearts, I felt we were already an international business and to do that, we needed to be virtual. And um, as I, was, I mentioned BMW earlier and one of the mm. facilitators I met at BMW he had, I'd been working with him, I think, for, you know, a good 12 years before he realised that I wasn't just the offshoot of a much bigger business that was based in London. <laughs> Fake it till you make it. And, and I had no idea I was faking it because I didn't know he assumed that. <laughs> <laughs> and so really through having those two offices and now, you know, representation in the US as well, that actually just set the intention from the very early days We're not just focusing on on one country, we're being virtual and we're having people in different countries. I think the conscious decision then to take all my, have my admin support and operations for my business virtual was kind of a slightly different decision further down the line. Um, But in the very early days, that's what drove it, Claire. So how
0: did you find your coaches and for, for your business, how, and it being such early days, you know, the, I suppose for them, it was, it was an interesting opportunity as well.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, I think people love to be involved in a international organization and where they get to meet people from other countries. We Mm. have, we have now people on our team who, if they go on holiday, you know, to France, um you know they will connect with our french coach if they're from you know america or wherever because we have you know built those relationships so i think people um love that kind of um, aspect of being able to connect with other people and not yes. just staying within your own circles yeah in terms of how i found people a lot of the time it was um through referrals from within mm-hmm. our own network of people that know people or people that have track coaches that have trained with other coaches that they respect. Um, mm-hmm. Also, in some countries, we um, reached out via LinkedIn to people. One of the key things for us is a really robust interviewing process um, and recruitment process, but it's all done virtually. And in fact, I've got people on my team who have been on my team for five plus, maybe even eight years. Time just passes me by, Claire. I couldn't couldn't exactly say, but that I have never, ever met. Wow. But I feel as if I know them so well, and so in a, in our minds, even though we have never met, it doesn't mean we're not a close connected team. Now I have met some of my team when I if I travel to a country, we will have a, a get together in a in a region. But yeah, I it's funny; it kind of doesn't become an issue for us that we have yeah. to or that we're working virtually. I really I really want to drill down on that, Emma, because. Um...
0: Some of the the feedback that that we're hearing and that I'm hearing from from team members in in companies that I liaise or work with is that when we first went into lockdown, there was, you know, a huge amount of communication and, and people still really felt part of the tribe. And then as the months have gone by that communication has reduced slightly, say from the manager or the leader, and people are feeling slightly isolated or, or, or disconnected. So, you know, you've, you've decided on this from the get go. What are some of the things conscious or unconscious in, in terms of building those relationships and, and, and forming that tribe? that could help people who are thinking, well, gosh, you know, now I'm going to, am I either going to be in an online, t- a virtual team from now on or a hybrid team? H- how do I keep and forge those connections?
1: How do I onboard people virtually and still get them to feel a part of the tribe? Yeah, yeah. So I think there's, there's two different questions there, Claire. There's the onboarding and then yeah. the, then how you actually manage the tribe going forward. So I'm going to kick off with how you manage manage the try peace first yeah Um, i really think the secret to it is have absolute regular cadence for your communications that everyone knows when the communication is happening and what it's for around a regular cadence now obviously there's other communications that may may happen you know um i've been whatsapping with my different members of my international team over the last couple of days but we have a regular cadence of um weekly toolbox for our ops mm-hmm. team so my ops team is in the the philippines and we meet on a daily basis ev- every day for 15 minutes um, we then have weekly one-on-ones and i think what's really interesting is um a lot of leaders that i speak to when they used to work in an office they perhaps didn't formalize those weekly one-on-ones because they were inverted commas seeing their people all the time yeah, I actually think that is something about a weekly one-on-one, um, and we have weekly one-on-ones, and then quarterly. We call them um, progress reviews, quarterly reviews, um, but that is just focusing on the person. When I go into my weekly one-on-one, which is typically about tasks and things we're managing, mm-hmm. always before we get to that task list, I genuinely check in with that person. Yes. Yeah. Like, check in how's the family like one of my team has just started doing homeschooling what's happening with the homeschooling mm-hmm. um, so it's it's person before process our quarterly review is the time where we you know we only talk about the person and their development and how they've gone so we really have a standard time every three months that that has to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a weekly basis we are checking in now this is this is for my ops team for my contract team that might not be with the organization um, know constantly it all depends on what projects we have in which countries as to how much work people people are doing we have a monthly team meeting i send a video out before that meeting so that that video that meeting doesn't become me updating everyone with what's going on so there's a there's a short video that goes out beforehand and and quite often my ops team join that video and everyone you know the uh, we have a marketing update we have a you know the the finance update i give my updates um So the video takes care of the update piece. So we make sure when Mm -hmm. we're on that call, it's really valuable. And then we have a, a set agenda on that call that we will work through. But the purpose for that call is building community and everyone knows that. Yeah. And so because we have, and we run that call twice on the same day. So we will, I say on the same day in Australia. So we will run it late in the evening and early in the morning. So if you're in America, you'll join the morning call. If you're in Europe, you'll join the late call. Mm -hmm. We always put the recordings of the call on the company intranet. So if people missed it, they can listen to the recording. Um, But I think the consistency of the way that we do the agenda and and part of our agenda are um, we have a question of the month and we open the call with everyone just saying two or three minutes or even just a minute of what has happened for them that month. Um, and the question, and then you answer the question of the month. So this month, the question of the month is, what's your favourite flower? (laughs) And and they're just random questions. Rubes on my team comes up with them. I'm surprised when I see the question as well. (laughs) But it's just a really nice way because even though, you know, some people we've been together five, eight years, longer, through those type of questions, you just find out about people.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely and you and sorry i do want let's let's park the onboarding for a second because yes. there's something yeah. really important that you've put there um it it's it's showing that you care uh but also i think you know it 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 we're in uh, we are in unprecedented times of uncertainty and you know from my perspective and knowledge of neuroscience our brains crave consistency they crave predictability that's what gives that that's what gives us a sense of security and when we feel secure and when we feel, you know, our, our sense of importance is enhanced, then we can be productive and engaged. So I think it's so important what you're saying about the consistency that people know what to expect, that they know that they're being listened to, that they know that someone cares about them other than
1: their work-based performance. And, um, and I think, yeah. Claire, the interesting thing is, as leaders is finding ways like I, genu- I do genuinely care about my people without a shadow of a doubt. But I, what I had to do is I had to find ways to kind of almost program in that care on a weekly basis mm. so that when I'm stressed and busy, the care doesn't suddenly go out the window. And absolutely, that wouldn't be my intention. But I needed to make sure that I had certain things anchored in that we always do. So for example, on the ops team meeting, we have a weekly ops team meeting. So we have the one-on-ones, but then we have a weekly meeting with us all together. And again, this, is, this has always been virtual. And the first thing we do is we do a pulse check. And in a pulse check, you answer four questions. Scale of one to five, how am I feeling? Scale of one to five, um, how much value do I feel I have given to the clients this week? Um, scale of one to five, how happy am I with my learning? Because learning is really important to everyone in, in our organization. And we don't use one to five. We use ABC on this, which is <laughs> us, just just us designing it how we want it. What? How's your workload at the moment? And um, a C is... I'm just getting confused with my own scales here. I don't know why we aren't using a scale of one to five, but basically Basically, if you're on an A or an A plus, you're feeling slightly overwhelmed. And then we look at how can we division the workload up? What can we do to support you? What do you need? Um, And if you're on a C, you can potentially take on more work from other people. If you're on a B slash B plus, you're probably about right. And, And so we, we, have that conversation every week and i actually got that let's just accredit this i was reading a book um i can tell you exactly now it was on my 40th birthday weekend away in byron um called sleeping with your smartphone because i was worried about, about <laughs> you know you have those milestone birthdays and you really sit down and reflect um and it was in there and you read a business book yeah exactly <laughs> Um, and it was it was written by um, a consultant who used to work at Bain and Co. And they, I think, were using that tool throughout Bain, or whether it was just throughout certain teams to help people balance work-life balance. Yeah. And I really identified. Yes, I, you know, I had a challenge with it, but I wanted to make sure that my team didn't have a challenge with it. And and we've been doing the the pulse check ever since on that.
0: And and what I'm thinking about listening to you saying about the pulse check. In order to be able to authentically do that pulse check, you need to have built trust and -hmm. psychological safety. Because for people to be able to say how they're feeling, honestly how they're feeling, and honestly what value they've given to their clients, they have to trust you. They have to trust each other. Yeah. So how did you, what did you do going about
1: building that culture of, of, of trust and psychological safety? Well, so one of the things I say about safety is you need to take it from unspoken to spoken. And like, yeah, it's the safety is one of those things that people just assume. But I don't think you can assume it. You have to actively work at it. Um, I think the whole thing is being able to say truly how I am feeling. So I lead, lead by example. Yeah. Um, you know, we are in general, a very happy, positive team, but sometimes everyone has days where we're not 100% and we just of kind of name that and and share it. Um, I think it. I think it's funny because I have, you know, I have a contract team and they contract to other organisations and people say to me, Em, no one does it like we do it at Lever. And I kind of go, why not? And then I go... I don't worry about what anyone else does, but I want people to enjoy what they do. I want people to love when they come into the Lever community every day and, and you know, come to work at Lever. Well, they're, you know, they're in their own home working at yeah. their own, own desk, but they have the mindset that they're coming into the Lever community for that. And therefore you have to have the community even stronger virtually. But, Claire, I think it's only at the beginning of COVID that I really started to sit down and unpack and go, well, how have we done this? Yeah. Because this would be helpful to share with other people. Because we just did it, you know, at, with part learning transfer, I fully respect that. But that's our business, that's our passion, that's our life. Mm-hmm. Building this culture has just been sort of, accident, sort of accidental. Um, but potentially it's the most powerful thing about our business. Yeah, and, and without, that's why people yeah. and that's
0: why people stay with you.
1: Yeah, and we don't always get it right, Claire. You know, there's there's, there's learnings and there's um, I, I, one of my team members. I was messaging him last night, and I realised I I sent on a wet WhatsApp. Um, his mother has was in in hospital and had just come through a very very difficult difficult night in the worst worst of scenarios, mm. and I. I used the phrase, well done. And I read that back and I thought, Emma, what on earth are you saying yeah. well done for? Now, the funny thing is this, this um, lovely colleague's mother is such a trooper. Like she is such a trooper. And, and that what was, was what was in my mind. But as soon as I read mm-hmm. that message back, I immediately sent another message that just said, hope those words didn't misfit. What I meant was, you know, etc." Yeah, um, I don't even know why I'm sharing that example, Kate. Just <laughs>
0: uh, well, to, to what I what I'm hearing is this: um, when you're, you know, and we all hate the word pivot, but for, but for those for those leaders who are pivoting from um, from you know in the office to virtual or face to face, it's about making the unconscious conscious. You know, being consciously aware of the mindset of people at the moment who are dealing with so much change and stuff that we don't know about that's happening at home and thinking about the language that we use, the frequency of of our communication and the nature of our communication. So it makes absolute sense to me.
1: Yeah. Claire, can I just throw one thing in here? I think one of the things, I think if I were listening to us chatting, Hmm. I'd be thinking, this all sounds very fluffy. I'm aware of the results. (laughs) And so one of the things that we've done to build safety Well, a couple of things so um with our with our team we're constantly kind of collecting and building the metrics yeah of what um, performance has happened or not happened what's happened with every single project we have done that for years and years and years and we always look at those numbers and look at where can we learn from them and part of really fact like to do work when people come onto the team it's not always about getting the 10. If we're always getting a 10, we're not learning and we're not growing. Yeah. Um, let's celebrate those wins, but then let's not be afraid to look into those areas where we haven't got the outcome and what happened? Why was it? What could we do differently? And we mm. do that in a way that's not, you know, it's never a bad thing to be, to be looking at that. And we had, uh, we have a, um, Mentoring and development conversation for all of our teams. I now have a senior team that does that. I used to mentor everyone myself up until about four or five years ago. Um, And they were just some of the most rewarding calls. And I actually think a lot of the time, particularly with our contract team, that's why people stayed with us because we had such growth. But the reason we had such growth is because we weren't afraid to look at those times when we hadn't got, you know, an amazing nine or 10 Mm -hmm. outcome and really delve into it. The other thing that we do on a weekly basis with my ops team, when I talked about that standard agenda that we have, one of the things we have on the agenda is near misses. And we go around the group and everyone shares what near misses they've had that week. (laughs) I like that. um, Mike Muskins, who used to be on my team, taught us this. And he used to watch, do you know the show um, Air Crash Investigations? I, I know it. I've never seen it, but well, I know Mike, it Yeah. I used to think, I used to say to Mike, Mike, why would anyone watch air crash investigations <laughs> when they then have to go and do international travel? Now, <laughs> I, I cannot think of anything worse. But what Mike t- told me that he had learned from air crash investigations is that when a plane actually goes down, it's never just one thing that goes wrong. It's always a combination of small little things that go wrong and they perhaps either go, all go wrong together or have happened over a period of time. And so the whole idea for near misses is that we catch the small things that are that we can perhaps fix ourselves and is no big deal. And, you know, the client, say so the client is none the wiser, not, the, not that we're doing dodgy things, <laughs> where our clients do. but, you know, there's a little thing like a time's wrong and an invite or whatever, and we, yeah. we fixed it and no one noticed it and it had no consequence. We unearth those every single week, so that we can fix them as we go along and find out the real problem for it, and what do we need to do next time so that that doesn't happen. And that's just every week we talk about near misses. Gee, I absolutely love that, Emma, because you you
0: you know it's like the opposite end of the continuum to micromanagement, because everybody's just identifying their own small things that collectively yeah. could 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 make a big difference, you know, bad or not. So I, I, I love that strategy.
1: So we partner the near misses with the win of the week. And so also on that call, everyone has a chance to share their win of their week, of the week, yeah. whether it's a personal win or whether it's a professional win.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and, and so we, we celebrate and we, we also look at, oh, shouldn't have done that. What can we do differently, etc. So Claire, sorry, beg your pardon. I get excited then- about this stuff.
0: I know. I, I can hear the passion in your voice, and I love it. I mean, it's just it, it, somebody uh, you know new to to leading a virtual team will get so much benefit out of this. And and I think it's probably an appropriate time now to go back to that onboarding because probably never before or, or rarely, unless you've you know taken the strategy that you've taken, um, people are people are interviewing, recruiting, and onboarding virtually from the get-go so there's a couple of things going on in my mind around here is firstly um, you know making sure that you've got the best fit of a candidate when you can't actually see them face to face and secondly is that uh, creating and managing that process so that they are fully onboarded and, and part of
1: the tribe so I'd love to hear more about that Emma. I think it's it's funny because so when I'm bringing my um, members of my team on board in the Philippines, it's funny, clear just if you can't see someone face-to-face, you just do the induction virtually and you don't think it's any big deal.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I think the thing is, you know, you make time, you um, chat and you listen, you have... Um, we have some calls where we have videos on, some where we have videos off, um, and we just have a routine around that. We have a really powerful and welcoming induction um, collateral or sort of manual that people can you know, read through. I'm quite proud of that. It says the history of Lever. It's got about our culture. It's got about our values. But really, it's being purposeful about, it's it's just exactly the same as ways you would onboard someone into a regular organization. So I kind of think we think it needs to be done differently because it's virtual and it, it probably does, but it just needs to be done the same, but in a, in a virtual way. So that's not true because it's not about having, you know, sat in someone meeting after meeting for hour after hour. Um, But, you know, it's about, it's about engaging. It's about giving people things that will help them think, help them understand being there to support them
0: and and it's probably more effective in you know
1: uh, when I remember sort of
0: all the jobs I've had with onboarding uh, in an office environment dear god I've been so inundated with information and meeting people that at, at the end of every day I was exhausted and ready to collapse by the end of the week so you, you it's probably spaced out better when it's done virtually as well
1: yeah and you just you just plan for it and I you know, I've, when I've um, brought people on in the Philippines, sometimes it's been a year before we've met and yet we've been, they've been working full-time and we've been working together every single day. Yeah. Um, and what I try and do now is, you know, in, on alternate years, me go to the Philippines and the Philippines team come here. Now, obviously, that's on pause at the moment with, mm-hmm. with COVID. Um, and we've, you know, we've openly said, look, it may be a while until I get back to the Philippines or the team have their next trip here. Um, I remember when um, one of my team members from the Philippines came here, they hadn't even had a passport before. It was the first time that they had left their um, family. But, you know, that was wonderful to bring them here. And I I love that we did that. It didn't feel absolutely necessary that we must do that. We just wanted to. Yeah.
0: Okay. Now I'm going to change tack slightly because... I I remember when I first heard about this, you uh, introduced it at um, an AITD conference because it's not just the running of Lever that's virtual. Um, I I think it was back in 2016 that you piloted your artificial intelligence coach bot, Coach M. And just for me to try and get my head around, an artificial intelligence coach I, I don't get it and now I'm you know I'm one of
1: your greatest advocates but tell us more about Coach M. Well the funny thing with Coach M is um, it took me a while to get my head around it as well Claire let's be honest and I we, I was joking with a, a client the other day we were doing a presentation together and they were reminding me of how resistant I was in the beginning To say, you know, I have an amazing team of people around the world who are talking with people over the phone, having learning transfer conversations. I'm always saying to them, remember, it's not about you and the participant or the learner having a conversation. It's about you helping the learner have a conversation with themselves. Yeah. You know, for me, thoughts, feelings, values, beliefs and fears control our behaviors. I know you're hugely into the neuroscience and we could, again, we could geek off in a little avenue on that. But in essence, it's all about what happens in t- inside that brain that controls yeah. controls the behaviours. So we need to get the person connecting with themselves. And so anyway, one of the team said to me one day, "Well, em, if that really is true, why can't it be done with artificial intelligence and we just, you know, do away with ourselves?" And I sort of said, "No, never, not in my lifetime. The AI <laughs> will never be able to do that." And and you know, as a leader, you've gone into that space of being defensive. And you kind of Mm -hmm. go, oh, hang on a second. Let's just be a little bit more open-minded. Could (laughs) it be possible? Would it be possible? And basically, we just started to experiment. We have an amazing technology partner across in the US. And over the last three or four years, we have refined and refined and refined and updated um, the conversations that Coach M has with participants. And so for some clients, they just work with Coach M. Other clients, they work with, have some conversations with one of my team members, some conversations with coach M and, and other clients just work with the team member. So, it, so we've now got a really fully augmented offering of learning transfer and coaching delivered by AI and by a human team virtually. Um, but essentially, you know, it's all by either SMS text message or Microsoft mm-hmm. team's chat Fully virtual. The person can have the conversation anywhere they want, any time they want. It it's quite mind blowing. And so, when when
0: you get a new client on board, um, how do you, or, or is it the client who presents the fact that their new coach is going to be
1: a bot? <laughs> Well you've got we believe you have to be absolutely transparent with that. hundred and ten percent transparent. and a lot of the times when we're in organizations, it's really big projects that are scaling, and yeah. people often wouldn't be able to have human coaching because of the cost of putting it across so many people. and I one of the things that's um, clear in my mind, this is not saying that the it, talking to the bot is like talking to a human but actually what's quite funny is we do get the feedback that people feel it's like talking to a human. Mm. So, so it's kind of in my mind, you need to set the expectation. This is not about sitting down and having a conversation with a human, but you, people relate to it that way. People will wish the bot happy Christmas. People will say, you know, thanks so much (laughs) for your help today. Um, You just, you relate to it in that kind of way because of the way we've structured it. Um, And, you know, if we think about it as an organisation, we had twenty thousand one-on-one conversations in the space of learning transfer. We know those conversations like the proverbial back of a hand. Yeah, and that's how we've managed to create the the chat wow. box. I know. I mean, I could. I, I I really want to go down
0: the rabbit hole and say, how the heck do you? Um program something like that but but we'll leave that for another conversation as well and I think I remember when you were you were presenting at at the conference it was might be two years ago now 18 months ago I had this huge aha moment that coach M doesn't tell other people coach M is completely totally and utterly confidential Mm. so you have that you have that trust
1: yeah You absolutely have. Well, the psychological safety, Claire, I mean, it's it's psychological safety. And what's interesting is if there's um, studies that have been done in the space of mental health in the US and um, veterans that have suffered from PTSD get better results through working with a chatbot, especially in the early stages of their intervention, than they do working with a therapist. Of course. Because of the high level of psychological safety. And and we've had participants who said, you know what, I shared more with that, with Coach M, the chatbot, mm-hmm. than we would than I would have done if I was talking to a person. Someone, yeah. the, the first person that said that, I could not believe it. But it's not the we've not. It's not only been one person now. People will say that. I'm just like that wow. is bizarre. <laughs> so
0: so thinking about this, the the more successful Coach M becomes. Does
1: and I don't know if Coach M Coach M has a gender, doesn't it? Coach well broadly, <laughs> but it's Coach M with the letter M, and we just say to people, you know, that M can stand for whatever you like. Okay. And, now we do have some little videos that go out with a Coach M avatar. The team thought it would be hilarious if the avatar looked like me. I yeah, <laughs> um, and, and I thought that was funny in the early days, and now I'm not so sure. But I don't mind. You know, it's it's gender gender neutral unless you want to put a uh and you know a person to it so we're open very open okay
0: so where where my thinking is going is the more successful coach m becomes is there a risk of cannibalizing your real team or is there sufficient need for a hybrid and human solution that that won't be a problem
1: I think in the early days, I certainly worried about that. And I was really, you know, I communicated that with the team. We've been really open through the whole journey um, as to what we're working on, what it looks like, you know, the, the team have all, all used it. And wh- where we've kind of come to is what I realise is, is really if people are going to invest in human follow-up, they'll invest in, in human follow-up. Yeah. If they are struggling with um, budget or weren't going to invest, then they may go to the technology.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I get that. So,
1: I, so, you know, I just think we have to know that, um, you know, automation AI is coming and it's really about yeah. how do we augment and the having the best of both worlds and some, convers- some conversations with the AI and some with human, I think that is yeah. sensational. Yeah.
0: And, and in terms of the, the clients who are, um who who are adopting this? I mean, I you know what, what would come to mind firsthand for me is that they're all they
1: early adopters, they're tech companies. Um, what's the reality? It's just not it's just not that case. So we've had some um, not-for-profits coming to work with us. Um, we've had you know pharma, finance sector, um, some tech companies, but it's but it's more much broader than that, and in fact, it hasn't even really started with with tech companies. I think the tech companies mm-hmm. are getting more interested now. They're seeing what we're what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's interesting.
0: And so, thinking about, I mean, you. This has been this has been jam packed with, um, with with strategies and sharing your stories. Um, not wanting to put you on the spot, M. But are there are there any? I mean, any stuff ups? I mean, have there been any challenges along the way where you'd you'd say to people listening to this, look, be 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 mindful of this, you know, because it, it, it all sounds so wonderfully successful. There must have been some stuff ups.
1: Oh, there's been heaps of heaps of stuff ups, Claire. Heaps of stuff ups. Um, I'm trying to think. Which is where do I start? There's a there's a the stuff that is just, it's still really close to home, Claire, because it's a real, um, it was a real shock to me that we could get something so wrong. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm happy to share it. And we're still really working through the, through the learnings here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's actually, it's about the Black Lives Matter and some of the um, diversity challenges that are happening at the moment in the world. And I think the... I think it's, it's an incredible, it's, it's a kind of a difficult journey to be walking because of the way that we are as a society. And I think in, inherently then what that means is that as individuals, we can say, well, that's kind of a society problem, not necessarily my problem. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we have an amazing team of, of people around the world, exceptionally caring, exceptionally talented and, you know, I could easily hand on heart say, you know, we did not have racism within our organisation just through the people that we have and the way that we show up. Now, what was really interesting is that as the George Floyd um, challenges unfolded earlier on this year, I think as an organisation, we didn't know how to handle it. Mm-hmm. And we have, you know, a mixed racial team Um but I actually think, sitting from my, you know, personal position of white privilege, I don't think I had ever really acknowledged the racial diversity on our team, because I think I was just um, naive to it, mm. absolutely naive to it, and so we inadvertently, and obviously it was inadvertently, because you'd never do this intentionally. Um, one of our team members felt really excluded from Lever because we didn't reach out to them personally at that time to check in how they were. So, so as a team, you know, I was sharing about the team member whose mother's gone into hospital recently. Um, you know, we check in with things that are happening in someone's country or someone's kind of personal life, whether that's birthdays or, you know, children's milestone birthdays, those kind of things. And we I was so concerned about what we needed to do for Black Lives Matter as a business, you know, mm. or when organizations were kind of making those statements. And I didn't yeah. want to just be one making a statement, I wanted to do something constructive. Plus, you know, you've got all your other business things, you know, going on, which is your, your distraction. What I missed was just reaching out on a personal level to the people of colour within our organization and saying, How are you? And yeah. and in my naivety, I kind of know these are wonderful, wonderful peace people and I'm thinking, well, they are not affected by racism because they're such wonderful people mm-hmm. and and, what, and now we have been doing a lot of reading, we've got a working party around Black Lives Matter, we're having you know, lots of personal, personal insights and business insights, it's almost, it wasn't, it's not about the big society issue, it was about yeah. just reaching out to individuals. So we made a huge, you know, mortified huge stuff up that really, you know, affected one of our team in a really poor way. And you know, I will take that lesson with me forever now. Um, but we're learning from it. You know, we've I'm doing huge personal learning, and we've got the working party in place, and we're, you know, looking at what changes are we putting. We're putting those into place quite kind of thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, you know, it doesn't take away from being a positive team and a caring team, but yeah, we, of course, we don't always get it right. So that is, that's probably one of the worst stuff ups, Claire, that I've just chosen to share with you and your listeners. Um, But that's the reality, isn't it? We do things which we get really wrong at times.
0: Oh, you know, it is, it's it's a continual learning journey and, and. Um, and thank you for sharing that. I'm sure that, you know, you're not the only one who's been in, in that position. And, um, you know, my, all my years in corporate, I I, I was so uh, acutely, consciously aware that I was never going to be able to tick the box to say, I am now a great manager. I am now mm-hmm. a great leader. Because it's just a continual learning journey. 100%. Um, what I hear from that, it's the process of un- of of uh, uncovering it acknowledging it and working on it that's the most important and i'm sure your team member um now now appreciates that
1: i think yeah i I, I think people are with lever and i i always say this when um if you're joining lever you're actually on a learning journey and it's a personal Mm. learning journey and that is for me and every single member of the team yeah. And in that learning journey, you know, we know what learning's about. You, you've got to go through some of the really gritty kind of horrible stuff, realise where you've got it wrong, realise what you didn't know to then kind of yeah. come out the other side with the support of your colleagues. So, so I think everyone is learning and has learned through the situation. Wow.
0: I, <laughs> I was going to ask another question, but I think, I think the lessons and the learning from what you've just shared is the one for us to finish on and for people to reflect on and, and, consider, and consider, you know, their
1: own situation. And, and, Claire, yep. I just one thing I want to throw in, that's, it is quite a heavy place to end. So <laughs> It's also a positive place is, to it end. It is a positive place. And what I would say to people is I think one of the most important things I've learned about it and that scenario and learning, having my business is do not be afraid to stuff up yeah you know and and i i think i had that written on my wall it's just come back to me now um in fact claire i'll send you the i'll send you the quote we can put it in the notes because i'm not going to remember it now but about not being afraid to stuff up and that's that's the journey even whether you're leading a virtual team a small team a big team you're not going to get it 100 percent. but just go in there and give it a go
0: yeah wonderful thank you emma thanks claire Um, So I'd like, is it okay, what I'd like to um, put in the show notes, I I just do little sort of bullet points, because I really want people to listen to the full conversation. And so um, am I good to put your LinkedIn details on there? That would
1: be lovely. Very happy to connect with people. Thank you.
0: Obviously, your amazing book, which we'll talk about when we talk about Transfer (laughs) of Learning next year and next year's podcast, and the not afraid to stuff up quote, I would love that it's been enlightening. It's been, um, yeah, educational. Um, I've learned so much. Thank you for your generosity of spirit for everything that you shared. Go well, and um, hope to see you soon in face.
1: Thank you, Claire, (laughs) and to you and to you. Very best wishes. Thanks for today. Thanks. Bye bye now.